Welcome back to another edition of the First Draft Podcast. Coming out a couple days late, and we apologize to the masses who've been waiting for the normal Tuesday show, but with free agency, we decided to take a couple extra days to let some news run its own course. Of course, Field Yates joined by Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Mel, how are we doing this week? We're all good. Got a mock coming out Tuesday, which uh, would be a lot of calls made between now and then, and a lot of a lot of players. And I thought that's what we do this time of year. I, I got about seven, eight guys uh, that I just evaluated yesterday that I, I thought I was a little bit lukewarm on that I guess after you look at them in a couple more games, you'll like versatility, you like some of the things you see. So it's amazing how you can think you're going to maybe not have a guy as one of the top 10 players at that position, but all of a sudden now you see enough to maybe move a couple guys in. So uh, I think this draft is pretty doggone good. I think that's what it's, it's, it's stacking yeah. up to be a very good draft. So it's amazing, too, how a couple, a couple more games can change your perspective on a player. I'm at seven players a day. That's been my schedule. Seven players a day. I've got 58 guys left to get to 370, 375, somewhere in that range. So yeah, a couple of we'll guys feel just and Todd, just a couple of guys that I like more. These are because just not throw names out. But, uh, Brendan Hymas, the tackle at uh, at Nebraska, liked him a little bit more as I watched him. Cole Van Lannan, tackle, could be a guard, versatile kid at Wisconsin. Uh, Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa, like him. I actually think he could maybe be a left tackle, even though he played right tackle there. Uh, Alaric Jackson at Iowa, with Michigan State game. He could have a sack, but he was really impressive as a run blocker. ton of experience. Jalen Darden, a wide receiver at North Texas, was another one. Uh, I've said all along throughout the process, I love Elijah Moore. That's kind of my – you say, who's your guy? Love Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. And Tamori and Terry, Todd, when you looked at him in 2019 yep. and even 2018, the kid was making plays all over the place and looking like a really good prospect. And, of course, this year, the quarterback issues and some things. So Tamori and Terry from Florida State can't sleep on him. And Tim Jones, Southern Miss receiver. And, and Cornell Powell. Cornell Powell was the guy that finally became a starter. He creates separation late. He's got that knack of pushing off but not getting flagged for a penalty. He wins in contested situations, makes plays down the field. So there's a kid at six foot two oh five, had an impressive year, and thought, well, he's got a guy's gonna be covered in the NFL. You know, he can get a lot of separation. But when you watch him, he just has that knack for when you think he's covered, he's really not. So can he translate that to the NFL? We'll see. But as a as a day three pick, I think Cornell Powell would make sense. Certainly yeah, Jamin Davis is another guy. Sorry, Field. Jamin Davis. I, I just love his tape, the Kentucky linebacker. He's, he's all over the field. He's just a one-year producer, really. But what he put on tape this past year in the SEC was, was really impressive. Tutu Atwell is another guy. I mean, he might weigh 160 pounds, wet and wearing boots, right? But he is, he is lightning. Watching him get off the line, he's one of the rare guys that has exceptional quickness and exceptional speed. And so he – even at 165 pounds, I think around a five foot 11, he's able to get vertical, but he's also a, a huge threat a, after the catch. You got to play him in the slot. You got to kind of move him around and keep him off of the press. You know, NFL corners are going to get into his body, but, but Atwell from Louisville is it, to me is uh, one of the, you know, Elijah Moore, I love too from Ole Miss, but I think Atwell is kind of in that same range in terms of uh, second round, early second round. Both Atwell and also uh, Cornell Powell, players who showed up well at uh, the Senior Bowl about, what was that, two almost two months ago now. I can't believe it's been that long since we were down in Mobile. And this is what I love, by the way. The entire football world is following for updates on Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster and cap space and whether Russell Wilson gets traded. You guys are sitting here grinding the tape on guys that are not necessarily household names, even for those that love the draft but that's why you guys are who you are. But one of the realities of the NFL draft being after free agency is that what we think the team might need in February could change dramatically by March. And we are now technically on the fourth day where teams and free agents can negotiate deals, second day of the league year. But let's get to some of the free agent movement we've seen so far and ask you guys both your impressions and also if there's any draft impact here. And uh, Todd, I'll start with, Mel, I'll start with you because I know he's a player that uh, you scouted, of course, uh, 20 years ago when he came out of Purdue. Uh, Drew Brees retired. So how do you remember Drew Brees as a prospect and NFL player? And then can Taysom Hill be yeah. a full-time starting quarterback in the NFL? Or do you feel that this is going to eventually be Jameis Winston's job to himself? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I remember Drew Brees, that's the first pick in the second round when, uh, you know, uh, Michael Vick went number one. They got LaDainian Tomlinson, ended up with Drew Brees. And it, once he was solidified as that starter, remember Doug Flutie had been there, but, uh, you know, what well, he became a great quarterback in San Diego. People forget how good he was in San Diego with the Chargers for a couple of years there. And of course, then he had the injury. Uh, and that's why when you think about drafting Phillip Rivers, he, you know, Phillip Rivers wasn't a factor. Phillip Rivers sat and watched Drew Brees put up good numbers and, and lead that team to a lot of victory. So he was an outstanding quarterback in San Diego. That's why Miami wanted him, but it was the shoulder injury that prevented him from bringing him in for Nick Saban. And New Orleans took that chance on a quarterback that looked really good with the Chargers, still a young guy, getting into the prime of his career. Could he hold up with it, not having a great arm, but alpha shoulder, but now you're going to a dome in New Orleans. So they rolled the dice. The Saints did. Miami didn't. I ended up with Dante Culpepper, and the rest is history. New Orleans ended up with a Hall of Fame quarterback because of a gamble on a shoulder that another team said no to. They said yes to. And Nick Saban tells a great story on that, too. Uh, just talking to him this past season, he was saying, you know, just looking back on my career and, and things that could have been different, I brought Drew Brees to Dr. Andrews in, uh, in Alabama to, to get him checked out. And he, he gave him a pass. He said he's in better physical shape than Culpepper is. But our doctors said that we got to pass on Brees. We can't take him. And I went to the owner and I, you know, I was kind of pushing a little bit, but I was, it was early in my NFL career, but I couldn't tell him we absolutely have to take Brees over Culpepper because he was paying my bills. And so if that never happens, I may still be in the NFL and, and may not have this career at Alabama. Yeah, so yeah, who's, the happiest, who's the happiest about that is the Alabama Crimson Tide fans. That, no uh, question. They, they gotta thank that doctor who said no. <laughs> Maybe Saints fans too, though, right, Mel? Of course, because yeah. they got them, so they got 15 years sure. of a lot of people, I, I tell you, history would have been tremendously rewritten for everybody in the SEC, Nick yeah. Saban, Alabama. The Saints, the Dolphins, everything would have been impacted. And it could have been Saban versus Belichick for many years, right? Ooh, man, how about that? That would have been great. I mean, the two guys who, of course, you know, Bill, I, I don't even know if I can say, well, I guess Bill, yeah, it's fair to say Bill groomed uh, Nick Saban, of course, was defensive coordinator during uh, Bill's head coach tenure with the Cleveland Browns when Nick, yep. uh, after being at Michigan State and other stops along the way, uh, so two men who have established themselves as the goats in their respective field could have been competitors for a long time. Uh, so Todd, I'll, I'll turn it to you then on the question about whether Taysom Hill can be a full-time starting quarterback because he's under contract for one more year. He had the, uh, the four year voidable extension that was done for salary cap purposes only. Sean Payton really believes in Taysom Hill. Do you believe enough in Taysom Hill that he can be a starter for a full season or do all roads point to Jameis taking this job eventually? I think all roads point to Jameis. I really do. I, I think Jameis, you know, he he's going to benefit from having time behind Breeze and then having a, a coach like Sean Payton who can develop you. And then also a coach who knows how to play to strengths. And listen, Taysom is a, is a great athlete. And I think he can be a big, a bigger part of this offense as a quarterback in certain situations, short yardage, goal line packages, um, and, and kind of compliment Jameis. But I think Jameis is going to be the starter. I really do. Mel, you agree on that? The Jameis will end up being the starter and that Taysom will sort of settle into that role that is somewhere between how Sean Payton talks about him publicly and how Twitter views Taysom Hill, because <laughs> he's not the most popular guy on Twitter. Yeah, I got to believe it. it's Winston, right? Like Todd said, he's still very young. Jameis is uh, with 27 years of age. Uh, Taysom showed that he could be that dual threat guy, that complimentary player to give defense something to think about as the full-time starter. I think he could be a little in over his head. Uh, that'll be a battle in camp. Uh, they're going to fight it out and see the best man's going to win that. But then Taysom could still be that guy with Jameis. So it doesn't eliminate him from having a role like Drew Brees had at Taysom Hill. Now you'd have Jameis with Taysom Hill. So they, they could still utilize that, that dual threat ability of Taysom Hill. But I think Jameis, this is his opportunity. This is kind of like a not to the extent of Ryan Tannehill, uh, this is a chance to kind of resurface as a guy that we all thought he would be when he went number one. Marcus Mariota went number two. He's trying to figure it out, showed some promise with the Raiders. Uh, so these guys are trying to do what Tannehill did, and they'll give this is Jameis's an opportunity at a young age, watching Drew do what he did. It's got to be something that helped him, how he went about his business. Obviously, uh, Jameis has matured a lot since he came out of Florida State. 
And uh, like I said, you're a number one pick for a reason. Now with all that experience, all that knowledge that you've gained, now to be there and watch and see what Drew did uh, has got to help him. I think Jameis is the guy. And then, of course, Taysom will be there as well. And, and Brady's still around. Atlanta's got Brian. Carolina's going to get a quarterback. It's going to be an interesting division to watch, not only this coming year, but in the years moving forward. No question about it. It sure feels like the Bucs are now the favorites prohibitively going into this season. But you know New Orleans is going to be good because that roster is so deep and strong on both sides of the ball. So we want, I want to go through some other moves that were made in free agency. And I'll ask you guys both for your impressions of them, but also whether there is a draft impact, like whether this alters what you feel the team should be thinking about in free agency. And I'm going to not go back to back to back with these three quarterbacks, but I'm going to note that the first three teams I ask about are the three teams that I have long categorized. And I believe you guys agreed as sort of in that not purgatory, not no man's land, but that unique spot, rock in a hard place, if you will, where they need a quarterback but they were too far down the draft order to get one. That's New England, Chicago, and Washington. I don't think if they sat around and waited for a Mac Jones to fall to them, it was going to happen. But we'll start in New England. They were very, very busy, Todd. They re-signed Cam Newton to a one-year deal, which it's – don't overthink this. If he plays well, he can make good money. Good, good, not, not great money by any means, but good money. If he doesn't play well, then he might well be sitting on the bench and watching somebody else with his job. But between Cam Newton – Let's just start with Cam. Does this at all impact how the Patriots should be addressing the quarterback spot in the draft? Well, they, they brought in they brought in Smith and, and Hunter Henry at tight end, right? Yep. And they Johnny brought Smith in and uh, Henry, yep, yep, and, and Nelson Aguilar wide receiver, yep. plus Kendrick Bourne so, too. Yep. So part of me wonders, and, and I've said for a while, I, I'm not sure that Bill Belichick, and, and you look at his track record, every, every quarterback he's drafted has been round two through round six, basically. So I, I just didn't get the sense that he was looking to move up, but now you've got a, you have a quarterback that is, you know, cap in really good cap spot. And now you don't have as many needs as you did before. Yeah. They need a center. They could use an upgraded defensive end and a couple other spots, but it makes me wonder if they're planning on by spending all this money on all these other guys moving up and going to get a, a Mac Jones from Alabama or a, a Trey Lance from North Dakota state, one of those guys. So I, it makes it more interesting to me seeing how Bill Belichick went against the, his own grain, if you will, and spent a lot of money on high profile players to in, and now as an opportunity because his quarterback doesn't cost him very much at all compared to everyone else in the league to go up and, and to get a, quarter, a young quarterback to develop. And if that quarterback's not ready year one, you got Cam Newton for another year, and then you can have him develop by year two. Let me just say this, guys. Cam Newton, you would think the way he's being discussed is 38 years old. He's 31 <laughs> right now. He turns 32 in May. He's younger than Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, he's the number one pick overall who went to a Super Bowl and was an MVP guy. And here he is in New England last year, new team, going from Tom Brady to Cam Newton. What a difference in terms of play calling for Josh McDaniels. And I saw some play calling that left a little bit to be desired. They were trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Some runs that, that Newton had gave yeah, him no he didn't play well. He was, he was I mean, stuck. let's be he honest. Saw those. Yeah, he didn't he play well. Fumble against Buffalo or they win that game maybe late. Uh, now you got receivers, you got tight ends. The offensive line will probably be fixed to an extent, certainly a heck of a lot better. The opt-outs returning on defense, the moves that they're going to make in the draft. This is Cam Newton's opportunity. It's still a, a former – like we talked with James, former number one pick, age 27. Cam, former number one pick, had all that success in Carolina, only going to be 32 when the season begins. Uh, this is great opportunities, and this is a chance for Cam – to show that he's not there just one more year and be able to be able to kind of transition to a young guy. Why can't Cam be the guy for another three, four or five years? This is his year to show that. It's a unique opportunity. And Todd, to your point, the way he finished the second half of the season suggests that his days as a starter are over. And I'm not saying one side side is going to be right or wrong in this case. There are also those in the NFL that will point to this being the most unique season we've ever undergone. Cam had no offseason with the Patriots last year. Prior mm -hmm. to getting COVID, he was playing well. So maybe there's a 25% chance, 35% chance that he looks like the player he was at the beginning of last season. And if he does, I think the Patriots feel internally that they might be good enough to win 9, 10, 11 games and be right back into the playoffs. I, I like the strategy. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I really do. I mean, if you can get Cam Newton back for the money that they're going to pay him 
And, and for as little of a cap hit that it, they, they're going to take compared to everyone else in the league. But what I, what I have to know is who's going to be the backup. You know, what's the developmental process? Because Jarrett Stidham clearly, you know, I, I shouldn't say clearly. It's not over for, for Jarrett Stidham. But they don't seem to have the confidence in him that originally they had when they drafted him, I believe, in the fourth round. So we'll have to see. But it, it just it screams to me that there's another quarterback move it's going to happen, whether it's in free agency or in the draft between, you know, now and the, the start of the 2020, uh, 2021 season. I will just say that uh, I think it would be prudent for the Patriots to strongly consider a quarterback early. And it may be that they can't get one at 15, as we were just discussing. But the rest of their offseason has not been boring either. We've talked a little bit about the additions there. John U. Smith, as Todd mentioned, also Hunter Henry, uh, both players getting a contract worth $12.5 million per year. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, amongst the other offensive reinforcements. Uh, I think, Mel, the Patriots at 15 probably had no chance at Kyle Pitts, as it were. You know, he's such a talented player, as you've been singing his praises like Todd for months and months now. Uh, But does this lessen the need for the Patriots, if not a quarterback in the first round at pick 15? Do they need to maybe not go as heavily invested on wide receivers also? How does this I think they just their- let it see what happens and not force anything now. They got Jude, Matt Judon to help the pass rush. They added the dual tight ends, which is what they prefer in New England, to have multiple tight end options after having nothing. I say for Cam, you go from, remember, the injuries he's had, now getting healthy. New offense, going from Tom Brady to Cam Newton. What could be different than that? How about a transition? Then the opt-outs. They had more opt-outs than anybody. As I said, they had Buffalo beat when Cam fumbled down uh, deep in Buffalo territory. They beat Baltimore up in New England. Without all these entities that we're talking about and the draft coming up, they were still a very competitive football team in a lot of those games and could have could have beaten that Buffalo Bills team. So I look at these moves and say, hey, don't don't write off Belichick and the Patriots. I mean, we, we think Buffalo is the team to beat in this division, but New England has, has made moves that if they can keep these guys healthy. And Hunter Henry has that little durability issue, but when he's out on that field with John o. Smith and the receivers like Aguilar and Bourne that they've added with the draft coming up, they can fix that offensive line. Uh, they got a shot to be right back in the thick of things again. And like I say, uh, yeah, whether they draft a quarterback, it's going to be the thing to watch is do they make this, Todd suggested, make that move to get the heir apparent. So if Cam isn't the guy, you have somebody ready. If he is the guy, hey, you're happy. It's a win-win. Because if Cam plays three or four more years at a high level, great. Okay, we're winning. We got the quarterback that can sit, watch, and learn. If Cam is only a one-year guy there and they got to cut the cord because he's not the quarterback he was in Carolina, then uh, then you have the young guy maybe in year two ready to go. So I think getting a quarterback, to me, with the moves they've already made that alleviates needs at tight end, pass rusher, things like that, maybe they can do that and feel pretty good about it. I love win-wins, and they could create a win-win in New England by doing that. Yeah, I, I think – I think linebacker could be a, a spot that they attack. Maybe it's the second round, whether it's a, a guy like Nick Bolton uh, from, from Missouri. We talked about uh, Jamin Davis from Kentucky. Those are kind of guys I think they, they need speed and guys that can cover and, and can kind of play sideline to sideline. Center is another position, and that's going to be on day two, whether it's Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Um, it could be Landon Dickerson from Alabama who's coming off the injury but played great when he was healthy this past year. But those are two of the positions that I, that I really look at. And then defensive end, maybe if, if they get quarterback figured out or if they're comfortable with Cam as their guy and they don't want to draft a quarterback in the first round, you, you've got some guys in that range where they're picking at 15. You know, that's kind of where the run starts, Mel. It's, you know, Michigan's Quiddy Pay, who I, the more tape I watch on him, the more I like. He's sudden, he's quick, he plays hard, he, he chases and pursues. Um, Greg Russo from, from Miami, who had up and down tape at 15 and a half sacks in 2019 before opting out uh, this past year. So, and Jalen Phillips, another Miami guy who played really well this past year, kind of a one-year wonder, but has a lot of talent as well. So they, there's some defense events in that range where they're picking in the middle of the first round. I think that's kind of where the run's going to go. At one point, real quick, uh, you mentioned center. A lot, some of these guys had that verse. So we talked about Quinn Miners at Wisconsin Whitewater, but Kendrick Green at Illinois. I'm watching the Northwestern game. Guy gets hurt. He goes from left guard to center. He had three, I think, three starts at center this year. Kendrick Green did one early on in his career as well. He goes his junior year. But Kendrick Green is a guy, maybe day three, with that versatility to be a guard or a center, uh, you know, would be an interesting guy at that point. 
If nothing else, the Patriots seem to have increased their flexibility, right? For months, we've been talking about, hey, they've got to draft a quarterback. And that may well come to pass in whatever it is, a month and a week. I also will be the first to admit that last year I would have bet the house that they would have drafted a quarterback, and they did not. So we'll see with the Patriots. They always have a way of keeping us on our toes. And speaking of quarterbacks, the Washington football team has their new starter, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who signed a one-year deal. I think it's worth up to $12 million. Again, sort of that you know, low, I'd say maybe like slightly below the middle class of quarterback deals. Uh, It seems to me, Mel, that their intentions are pretty clear here. It's not like we're we're drafting, sorry, we're signing Ryan Tannehill, but we'll be opportunistic if something else comes up. He's their guy. Would you effectively rule them out of the quarterback market now in the draft? I can't do it. I I mean, I think you almost have to feel, even though they're saying no to Sam Darnold and different things, and you got a 38-year-old quarterback. Uh, They added Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, obviously, you know what he can do. We know what Antonio Gibson did as a rookie coming out of Memphis running the football. Uh, But I can't believe, Todd, and feel that you're not going to look at a quarterback uh, in this draft, which obviously there goes a little deeper than the five. You have Kyle Trask at Florida, who's an intriguing pocket passer. Uh, we talked about Davis Mills at Stanford and some other guys, Jamie Newman coming out of Wake Forest slash Georgia, where he didn't play. But I think, uh, you know, I think quarterback where they're picking, I get it. You're not going to, unless you move up, you're not getting one. I understand that picking at 19, they won too many games to be able to get a quarterback. But, you know, I still think it's got to be in your thought process. When they drafted RG3, they drafted Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. Now, RG3 was the second pick in the draft. Now you have a quarterback that's, you know, near the end of the trail at some point. I would think you would be able to, if you don't get one early, uh, try to get one maybe in that third, fourth round, and let's get to, say, a Kyle Trask maybe in the second. But, uh, Todd, I would not write off quarterback at all. I think it's got to be still addressed by the Washington football team. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. No, they're in a tough spot. You know, picking at 19, it, listen, at 38 years old, we know what, what uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is. We know exactly what he is. He can get hot for a few games, and then he can go in the tank. He's going to be up and down. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's a great interview and all those things. But he's not your future. So you as an organization have to be thinking about what's your future at the position. And But at 19, there's a really good chance that these five quarterbacks are going to be off the board. So do you try to move up, even though you just brought in Fitzpatrick and, and you got some weapons for him with Curtis Samuel and, and, and some other guys? I, I don't know what their plan is, but I would definitely in the first two rounds be looking to bring in a quarterback and try to develop him. And, and you know, Kellen Mond would be an op- another guy. You, you mentioned uh, Kyle Trask and, and some other guys, but Kellen mm-hmm. Mond would be a guy that you could maybe put behind a Fitzpatrick who can learn from him. Fitzpatrick knows he's not going to play until he's 45. He's not Tom Brady. He's going to play two, three more years. So maybe he'll be helpful, and, and maybe it'll be a situation that will be advantageous for a quarterback coming in. But you've got to be looking at that. In addition to, you, can, you need a left tackle. You know, and so they're, they're sitting there at 19, maybe 
we know uh, Rashawn Slater is going to be off the board from Northwestern. Uh, Panay Sewell from Oregon is going to be off the board. So maybe it's a Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State at that point. Um, they also need a tight end probably somewhere in the second, third round. I mean, they have several needs still. But to me, I agree, Mel, you, you have to be thinking quarterback this year to try to develop a guy behind Fitzpatrick. You know, what's interesting is this could be one of those chicken versus egg situations is I was listening to Eagles EVP Howie Roseman earlier Thursday, and he was talking about, uh, you know, looks like there's a good chance, or maybe he said there's a chance we could have five quarterbacks taken in the first 10 picks, which makes you wonder, is that him because that's how the league is viewing it? Or is the league viewing that because the media is saying it? And as a result of that, you know, it's, it's, is the media believing it because the league is saying, or is the league saying it because that's what the media believes? No, he, he, a, he, he wants someone to train. Well, he wants some spot. value. There He's creating urgency. There's no sure. question. He, want, he wants a lot of urgency for the league. He wants teams like Carolina behind him, San Francisco, maybe the Patriots. Uh, Chicago still could be in the, in the market. So he wants those teams to try to yeah. you know, move up and, and maybe take their spot and they could move back and get additional picks. I, I think they're going to stick with Jalen Hurts even though I don't think that's the right move for the long term. But I think when you come out and say something like that, you're just telling the league we're open for business. Yeah, he and Nick Sirianni, their new head coach, were both non-committal on naming Jalen Hurts a starter. The, the Philadelphia media asked it in a couple of different ways, and they didn't say Jalen's not their starter, but each of them stopped short of saying, yeah, he's That's our also guy part of the game, Field. It's also, also part, part of the, of the game. game. That's right, Todd. There's some advantage to them speaking publicly in forums like this. And you just mentioned Chicago. Both of you did as a team that's going to need a quarterback as well. They uh, drafted, or excuse me, they signed Andy Dalton to a one-year $10 million deal, has a chance to be worth up to $13 million. Mel, the Bears have the feet, their feet to the fire, and it's not a mystery. Chicago's not going to hide from it. No one's going to hide from it. If they don't win this year, there's going to be organizational changes. It seems like the writing is on the wall. Is Andy Dalton enough? And if not, how do they get their quarterback in the draft? And if the answer is he is enough, do they have to take a player when they draft that is an immediate impact starter? Well, what have we always said about Andy Dalton? He's a good quarterback. He needs a lot of help. When he was in Cincinnati, when he was winning games, getting into the playoffs, he had a lot of guys around him. You look at the skill, talent, the line, he had a lot of components around him then. And that's the kind of quarterback he is. Look at Chicago's offense. We're talking about wide receiver issue, skill position talent around the quarterback, offensive line issue. So this is Andy Dalton again at age, what, 33 now, Sure. Not being a quarterback who can create and make everybody around him necessarily better. He needs guys around him to be really good. So I, I just wonder why Chicago, this goes back to, I think we talked about this, why they didn't make a supreme aggressive effort to get Carson Wentz. I don't know. I mean, you could, could you have the 20th pick and a third rounder? Could have gotten you Carson Wentz? They gave up a two that could become as a one, and he did, and a third rounder. So well, I, I would have given up the 20 and a three and a second for Carson Wentz. You're sitting here with Andy Dalton. You're at the 20th pick. You're not going to get a quarterback unless you move up. You still have all these needs. They haven't done anything in free agency yet. So I look at the Bears as a mystifying team to me as to why they didn't try to get Carson Wentz. And here we're sitting here. Uh, Sam Darnold, what's going to happen with him? Um, yeah, I got to believe there's some strong interest out there from another team in San if the Jets decide to trade them. But if I'm the Chicago Bears, uh, you got Andy Dalton, you got Aaron Rodgers, you got Jared Goff in that division, and Kirk Cousins. You're the fourth best quarterback in the division, guys, and you can't have that. So, again, the Chicago Bears, yeah, they made a move that, that, that kind of salvaged things a little bit with Dalton. But I, right now, you're, you're in the cellar trying to get out of there. We may not have the bandwidth to get into it with a ton of detail and attention. The Bears really, though, were limited in terms of options, right? I mean, Deshaun Watson may eventually get traded, but Chicago doesn't have the best package available, and Deshaun may not want to go there. And Russell Wilson may have been open to going to Chicago, but you really got to make an offer that Seattle simply cannot refuse. And I'm not sure anybody right now, up until we get well, to part the draft. Of the, to your point, that. Field, part of the problem is, you're, I mean, you're picking at 20, yeah. So there's no team that really is going to want to move. Like the Jets don't want to move down from two to 20. And right. how much would that take for you to, to go up there, you know, and, and to, to make that pick? And, and then in free agency or a, in a trade situation, you don't have a quarterback to, to trade back that yeah. anyone really values. So that they're in a brutal situation 
And I know everyone in Chicago is killing Ryan Pace and killing this whole organization. And I, and I get it. I understand the frustration. But to your point, they are in a spot where it's, it's almost impossible to get out of. And I think they saw the, the writing on the wall and said, well, let's bring in someone before the, the quarterback carousel stops. Let's bring in someone that can at least, you know, bridge the gap and we'll see, see what we can do from this point on. That gets back to my question, Phil. Why not Wentz? I, I, that, that, I'm, I'm just saying, and that's not a, that's a, that's a first guess, not a second guess. That was something right. that to me would have been obvious. And from what everybody said, they didn't even make an attempt. So uh, they could, hey, they have a right to do what they want. But yeah. right now, they got a big problem. I said, when I say in the cellar, I'm talking about at, at quarterback. They're in the cellar at quarterback in this division right now. My thought that's a place on you do not want to be. My thought on Wentz would be that, you know, it takes two to tango. And I'm not so sure that Carson Wentz was as amenable to going to Chicago as Chicago may or may not have been to acquiring him. Wentz seemed to have his eyes locked in on Indianapolis. And as we know, that deal eventually did get done. As we kind of work through some of the other signings that took place, Todd, I'll go start with you. Uh, the Jets, they signed Corey Davis, their first free agent signing at wide receivers so far. Maybe not their last, um, as there's been some buzz about them being in the wide receiver market going forward. Does this have any impact whatsoever on their draft plans? Corey Davis is a really nice player, by the way, and a good contract. Yeah. But are the Jets one of those teams that you can basically ignore free agency because their draft plan is completely independent of it? Well, I, I mean, it, it all comes down to Sam Darnold. We know that. I, you, Joe Douglas, the GM, is trying to get players in that are going to help and come in at a good price. That's that's the whole the whole issue right now. But the master plan has always been to get all these draft picks, as they have four four in the first round, nine in the first three rounds of the next two years. And now it's either move Sam Darnold and get more picks or move out of two for a team that wants to come up and get Zach Wilson at number two and get more picks as well. So they're going to build this roster from the draft the way Ozzie Newsom did, you know, who he was working under for many years in Baltimore. So that's, that's kind of the whole plan. I don't think this changes anything, but I look at their needs and I, I wrote them down before. Cornerback is still a need. They need a tight end, an impact guy at the tight end spot. They need a running back and they need offensive line help. Those would be the first four needs for the Jets outside of figuring out the quarterback position. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What do you think, Mel, in terms of what the Jets have done so far? And again, I know it feels like free agency started a week and a half ago because of how much movement there's been. But, you know, the Jets, their major moves up to this point, Corey Davis, a wide receiver, Carl Lawson, a nice edge player signed from the Bengals, Justin Hardy, a special teams player from the Saints, has anything the Jets have done done anything to alter your mindset of what their needs are going into the draft? Well, I think it's, it's it still boils down, as Todd said. To, you can say, do you cross out wide receiver because you have Corey Davis? That was obviously a need. Uh, you think about Denzel Mims, his emergence, you hope in year two would really come along with the veteran now and Corey Davis. Mm -hmm. The tight end position, you could, if you move down, look at Kyle Pitts as an option there if you moved off of two down a little bit. Uh, yeah, they're thinking, obviously, when you bring in a guy like Carl Lawson, who's had his moments getting after quarterback, he's not outside of a finisher, but he, he's disruptive uh, when he came out of Auburn. He's had a couple of really uh, productive years getting after the quarterback. They're not necessarily a sack artist, but a guy can bring some heat. Uh, so that can be somebody who can give you a little bit of that outside pass rush. But uh, I think when you look at the quarterback situation there, that's the, the, this is going to define Joe Douglas. I mean, this is the most important decision any GM has made in a long, long time. Because you have a quarterback sitting there in Sam Darnold. I know Todd loved, a lot of people in the league love. Go back to his pro day when they were raving about him. Go back to the when he with the draft when everybody was raving about Sam Darnold and thinking he was going to be elite. Now Josh Allen's elite. He's not because of circumstances. And th yeah, that's where, again, it wasn't his guy. He did not draft this guy. That doesn't mean you didn't love him coming out just because you didn't. You don't have to cut the cord from a quarterback just because you didn't draft him. So I think singly, I, Todd, I can't think and feel of a lot of situations where this decision at the most important position in all the sports, quarterback, you got a young Sam Darnold 
and you got a second pick that could represent Zach Wilson. You're making moves. You always draft picks. You brought in some free agents, nice signings there. But ultimately, you're going to send Sam Darnold packing if you do. How does he perform where he goes? And how does your quarterback, if it is Zach Wilson, perform? That's your career right there. So you better make the right choice. And it's not an easy call. I would stick with Sam Darnold. I'd be interested to see what you field and Utah think. I would stick with Sam, make a move off of two, move down, look at Kyle Pitts. That's me. What do you guys think? I'll make it quick because I know people care more about Todd's opinion than mine. Uh, I am actually in favor of moving on from Sam Darnold this offseason. And as I've said, if a Deshaun Watson trade is at all available, I can't think of a price too expensive to pay for Deshaun Watson. I just think that highly of a 25-year-old. And then in terms of draftable quarterbacks, you know, and, and I know that this has become a, a popular phrase now, so I can't even coin it as original. But, you know, you want to reset the clock on your quarterback and your timeline. I think drafting your quarterback at number two, whether that's Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or whoever you deem the best non-Trevor Lawrence prospect, I am in favor of that GM and head coach get to pick their guy. Uh, but, Todd, I, I think there's a chance you may see it differently. Yeah, I, you know what? I would personally stick with Sam Darnold knowing what I know. But I'm, I'm not in the building every day. And, and I've said this before. I don't know what his confidence level is. I don't know, you know how, how he feels about being in New York. I don't know if he wants to move on and, and go get a fresh start somewhere else. So those are the, the things that we, we can't predict and we, we just don't know at this point. Um, but I, to Mel's point, in addition to making the decision on the quarterback, either Sam Darnold or presumably Zach Wilson from BYU at number two, the, the second part of the most important decision for, for Joe Douglas in his career is going to be what you do with that number two pick or what you're able to get for Sam Darnold. Because if you're going to move Sam Darnold, you want to get a good price. And I think that's part of what's going on right now. And if not, then you want to move out of that number two spot. So it's choosing between the guy you have who's really good and you know you have not supported him or the, the young guy who's going to come in and you're going to have to develop and no matter what, there's got to be a trade involved, trading Sam out of there or trading that number two pick and trying to get really good value for that because you've got all these other holes on your football team that you have to, you have to patch up. I mean, I, I think we're going to keep talking about this for five more weeks. There's just no two ways about it. There are two instructive points to it. One is obviously what happens in the draft. The other one, which the Jets don't have to make a decision on, but they could would be the fifth-year option for Sam Darnold. If they exercise that fifth-year option, which they can do now at any point, and that would cost them around, I think, $18 million in 2022, fully guaranteed, you know, that might tell us something about how they feel about Sam, right? You're committing $18 million to a guy. This, I mean, it's not Patrick Mahomes' money, but you don't want to throw $18 million at a guy that you plan on moving on from or making your backup quarterback in short order. So until either of those things take place, feels as though we're going to be talking about Sam Darnold and where he might be other than New York up until past the draft. Uh, let's move things forward with a couple of other things. And I don't know that this, I don't want to ask you whether, you know, signing a wide receiver changes what the Jaguars should do in the draft. They got so many needs that besides Trevor Lawrence, they can do anything in the draft. And we all probably understand uh, what their motives are, but I will say this, I'll ask you and I'll start with you in this case, Todd, how, prepared or how equipped do you think that Trevor Lawrence will be based off what the Jaguars currently have in place right now around him, which now includes Marvin Jones? It's going to be a different world for him. You know, he's, he's been in a system that's been kind of quarterback friendly, a lot of short game, a lot of screens, a lot of outside throws. And I think Urban Meyer and the staff are going to try to do a lot of those same things. His offensive line this past year wasn't great. His wide receivers were kind of young in most spots, and, and um, the talent level wasn't the same as the year before. So he, he had to go through some bumps and bruises. But let's face it, he had a great defense, a great coaching staff, a great situation at Clemson. You know, everything was, was good for Sunshine. I mean, he, he had everything going for him. And now he's going to go to Jacksonville, and it, he's going to have to adjust. And I think a big part of it is going to be – the plan that Urban Meyer and the coaching staff have for him and how they develop him mentally in terms of, okay, we're, yes, we're going to have a lot of screens and a lot of quick game, and we're going to allow you to throw the deep ball that you throw so well, especially to the left side of the field. But we're going to have to get more 
middle of the field throws, more anticipatory throws, and and play more of a pro game in order to be a complete offense. So his you know his supporting cast is not great, but they pick at number twenty five, and I think I think Urban is a good fit for for Trevor because of what he's always done coming from the college level and kind of the similar system that that Clemson has been running there. And I just I don't think it's going to be as big of an adjustment as it would be if he was going to New England, let's say. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see what else they do in free agency. I know that uh, the reason why we waited this long in free agency was to see what moves were upon us. It still feels like they've got so many resources and the wide receiver market still hasn't moved fully. We have players, yep. as we mentioned earlier, like Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster, amongst many others that remain unsigned at this time. So that Jacksonville offense could come a long way. Let me um, say this field real quick. Like Christian say, Barmore yeah. we have talked about for Jacksonville. Now yeah. look what Jacksonville did, bringing in Tyson Alualu and Malcolm Brown, adding the cornerback in Griffin. So now you got the cornerback opposite Henderson. Now you have the defensive line. Now you go away from that. So they addressed the defense pretty heavily. They brought in Marvin Jones, brought in Dorsett, brought in Agnew. So they got some weapons there around the quarterback. But uh, certainly the defense, what they needed, those two defensive needs, defensive line, cornerback, have already been addressed. By the way, how about I mean we're a draft podcast? How about Tyson Alu Alu going back to the team that originally drafted him all the way back <laughs> in 2010, which makes he and I want to say there's one more player in the top 50. Yeah, Brandon Graham, the only other oh, yeah. player who now plays for his original team, understanding that Tyson Alu Alu spent a lot of time elsewhere, most notably playing really well for the Steelers and kind of an underrated role for them up in Pittsburgh. Um, I'll ask you guys this. Before we uh, tease Mel's mock draft, which comes out again next Tuesday, is there anything, Mel, that you've seen in free agency so far that has maybe changed your perception of a team and its needs? As I know, we focused in on a lot of skill guys there, whether it's big offensive linemen, like have the Chiefs now mitigated their need to draft an offensive lineman in the first round because of the additions of Joe Tooney and Kyle Long and sniffing around on other top offensive linemen? Anything else in free agency that stands out to you as something that either deletes a need or maybe increases a need because of what a team has not done. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the guys that they're bringing in, some you say could fill a need, but you're getting these guys because the team let them go. Yannick Ngakwe is a good example. Get out of Maryland, good start to his career, showed moments getting after the quarterback. Jacksonville and Minnesota didn't get it done. Baltimore didn't get it done for the level. Now he's a Raider. And they haven't gotten the sacks out of Cleveland Farrell that they thought they would, even though he's been disruptive at times. Not the sack yeah. guy. It's been Max yeah. Crosby. Now they need Ngakwe to kind of showcase that he can be the guy. Uh, you think about oh, what he could mean there. So I think you get him. Then you look around the league and what, what teams have been able to do. It's interesting when you think about Houston brought in a ton of guys. A lot of them are journeyed. So some of these, these teams, you say they added a lot of guys, but how many are impact performers? And I go back to uh, the Giants with the Giants. It's the same type of thing. Booker to help out with Barkley at running back. John Ross, can he resurface? He was a high first-round pick. It was a disappointment after showing some flashes with that speed. Can Bud Dupree revert back to his pre-injury form in Tennessee? He hasn't had a pass rush. Now to get Bud Dupree, now to get Nico Autry. They've addressed some things in terms of their pass rush, provided Dupree comes back effectively from the injury. I think the Rodney Hudson trade, what the Raiders are doing on that offensive yep. line, guys, I think it's a bit fascinating. Now you're letting all that money go, all those guys go that you thought were the cornerstone of their football team. Rodney Hudson's a really good center. He's got some years left. Arizona made the move, giving up a third-round pick to get him. So now you got the Raiders with Derek Carr. Now you got to figure out the offensive line, John Gruden and Mike Mayock moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see, based on the moves they made, yeah. And they do that game. Jackson moves on as well. So uh, Trent Brown. So this is a, a completely going to be a completely restructured uh, Las Vegas Raider offensive line for Derek Carr. And by I'll the just way, add one, one, one thing, ahead, Detroit, not drafting or not bringing in a wide receiver. And you mentioned, you just listed off all the wide receivers that are still available in free agency, probably the, the richest position still available right now. And the fact that they have not gone and, and brought in a free agent, tells you they're, they're picking at seven, and they know that they've got Jamar Chase from LSU, who's the, the most talented receiver in this group. Devontae Smith, who's coming off the best wide receiver year, I would think, at least in my career, that I've ever seen in a single season from Alabama, and his teammate, Jalen Waddell. So you've got three receivers that are, are should be in that range, 
you may not get the one that you want, but you're going to get this probably the second best one. And I think that they're banking on the fact that they're going to get a receiver at seven. And they're really hoping on the fact that there's a lot of teams that want to move up to go get these quarterbacks. They'd love nothing more than the top four uh, picks to be the quarterbacks in this year's class. Yeah, yeah Tyrell Williams is a good player if he can stay healthy. That was the thing with the Raiders, Todd. And Fieldy just that, that's the problem the Raiders have had with a lot of their players. With Trent Brown, with Tyrell Williams, they haven't been able to stay healthy. And that's been the issue. Even some of the young guys that they drafted haven't been able to stay on the field for 16 games. And uh, like I said, that's going to determine their fate. But like I'm with you on Detroit. I think uh, certainly uh, they'll look at some wide receivers. Can Williams stay healthy? If he can, he'll at least be a good veteran coming in. Uh, Todd, Mel, you were talking about the Raiders offensive line, which they've undone, but they now fortified their backfield further is as we were talking Adam Schefter reports, they're signing Kenyon Drake, former Dolphins and Cardinals running back to a two year contract worth up to $14.5 million. I don't want to turn this into a diatribe and I don't want this to be a podcast where we rip the shreds NFL front offices because they have a lot more information than we do. That being said, it has been one of those off seasons so far that the Raiders' moves are going to require us to do some digging as to figure out why, right? I mean, an offensive line that we thought two years ago was one of the best in the NFL has been basically unraveled, and now you're bringing in a second running back after using a first-round pick, 24th overall on Josh Jacobs just a couple of years ago, one of those that uh, makes me scratch Hudson my head. Hudson makes no sense to me. Hudson, yeah. that, that, that decision shocks me. Well, and I know, I know. And, I, and I'm sure we'll hear more about this name. They have a player in Andre James, guy from UCLA a couple of years ago, undrafted free agent, a little versatility. They think can be a good center. But we're not talking about moving on from a middle-of-the-road center. Right. We're talking about – I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not the world's foremost authority on centers, but he had to be one of the three to five best in Rodney Hudson. So uh, the Raiders are – Generally speaking, I feel as though we on the outside, if we study enough, can get a pretty good sense of the direction or the arrow for these teams. The Raiders, I think, require a bit more effort to figure out some of the moves, a little bit of a more a trickier puzzle, so to speak, based off what they've done this offseason. I don't know. That wasn't really a question to either one of you. I was just throwing it up there like no, a, like a volleyball to spike it down. Truth. I'd just be curious. This is the first think. time we ever <laughs> that we haven't been talking over you. Yeah, no, the draft will play out. I think that's the one thing. I'll, I'll let the process play out and then make our judgments. And I, I've always believed, and guys, when you're putting a roster together, you're putting a roster together to try to win a Super Bowl. That's the idea of roster building and, and making moves and having a plan. And you know how you got to manipulate the salary cap and make some things happen there. So for the Raiders, a lot of these plans, we're going to plan A. Now we're in plan B. Now we're almost in more in plan D now. And so you got to, you're, you're yeah. almost, you're moving from plan one to now your offense line was going to, like you said, guys, was going to be your strength. Now you're, moving guys on. Some of the guys you brought in gave good money to, weren't able to perform to the level. You can excuse it away and say injuries. You can't predict injuries, but they happen. So again, the Raiders just need, if they can get guys, get better luck on the injury front, I think they will have a better opportunity. But hey, you're in a division now with not only Mahomes, but with Justin Herbert. And Herbert's going to be elite. And now Derek Carr, even though he's a really good quarterback, your, your third best quarterback in this division is going to be Derek Carr more than likely. And that's where the Raiders are right now. And they're going you know, have everything else going. And right now, like you say, when Ngakwe give them a pass rush, forget about the offensive side. When Ngakwe give them the pass rush that they haven't gotten with Furl, even though he's got some versatility, does some yeah. things, pressures and all that. Sack numbers, guys. Sack numbers haven't happened. And Crosby has given them much more production in terms of sacks. So uh, the Raiders, let's see how it plays out. They obviously have a, still needs to address. Uh, come late April, and, if, and we'll see what the roster looks like and that starting 22 looks like uh, when we get into May. Yeah, it's a uh, – how do I do this? Play? I know you're supposed to talk on a podcast, but i um, going to maybe bite my tongue a little bit. Very interesting decisions by the <laughs> Raiders. Uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, I mean, Todd, I mean, so I'll ask you this. Because of the um, – the offensive line, whatever you want to call it, crumbling or undoing, dismantling, does this make offensive line their top priority in the draft? I mean, I'm just I'm trying to figure it out here, right? I, I think it has to be. It has to be. And they, they must have identified offensive linemen throughout this draft that they, they really like. And Drake is a matchup piece. I mean, he, you know, he catches the ball well. You can move him around. Gruden loves having guys that he can – kind of manipulate and create mismatches with. So I, I understand that, but it, you know, the offensive line issues right now, it's, it's just, it's, it's puzzling to try to figure out what the direction is. 
but John Gruden's always been like this. Let's, I mean, let's just be honest. And I, I like John Mel, you, you work with John a lot as well. And I think he's a great coach, but he's got personnel ADD. And, and we've known that about him for a long time. He just, he's always plugging in guys and taking guys out and, and moving pieces around. And he's never settled with a starting lineup or a group that he has. And yes, he's won a Super Bowl and he's a great coach, as I said. But from a personnel standpoint, you know, you got to have someone there who can tell him no or, or, you know, give suggestions. And I, and I just, I, I wonder what the relationship is between Gruden and, and uh, Mayock, the general manager. Well, I think one thing that's clear, and I'm not trying to make this always about the $100 million contract, but when you've got 10 years, $100 million, that's job security, right? You've got time and you've got the ability to kind of do as you please and what you want. So, uh, and, and in their defense, they had a solid start to last season. They seem to be playing with a certain toughness and identity that uh, boded well for them going forward. And sometimes moves that on the outside, look curious, can come back and be very favorable for the team yep. going forward. So we'll see how it all shakes out for the Las Vegas Raiders, who at least for right now have good running back depth with both Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake in the mix. Mel, one more time, mock draft 3.0. When can we expect it? Be Tuesday. Be starting off Tuesday morning, probably get up and Mike Greenberg and Greedy and uh, move on to, to uh, first take from get up. And throughout the day, we had a, a Sports Center special coming up as well that day. Todd, you'll be around me all day as well, critiquing some of these things we're going to be making. Look no, forward never... to it, guys. It'll be field. It, it, it's fun. I mean, if you look at it, it's a fun part of the equation. I'm already, I got my sheet here. I'm crossing off these. I'm looking at, yeah, and doing all this and trying to figure it all out. It's like a puzzle uh, that you never really feel good about, but it's, it's part of the equation. And Tuesday, that's all we're going to be talking about. And uh, I guess when's our next podcast going to be Tuesday as well? We're going to have the podcast back on our normal Tuesday schedule. And by then we may have more moves that could or could not have an impact on the draft, but Anybody listening right now that will be so kind, if you want to go ahead and rate and review the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, we, of course, would appreciate that immensely. For Todd and Mel on Field, we're back on Tuesday. In the meantime, enjoy the next waves of free agency, everybody. We'll talk to you then.